The story of Robert Burns, Old Lang Syne. The story of Billy Joel. The story of Shawshank Redemption. My own story of being a failed, struggling, unemployed author who's getting fired from all his jobs. Like, you haven't missed your chance. So start creating that vision for yourself. Where do you see yourself 20 years from now? And start treating that vision as fact. Because hope is a powerful thing. All grown up. Hey everybody, this is Paul Ingoni and you're listening to another episode of the All Grown Up Podcast where we talk about your 20s, your 30s, and becoming all grown up. Uh, Because it's hard and it's painful at times and confusing, but it's really important. So that's why I've dedicated my, my life, my career, my work to this time of life. And in the podcast, if you haven't listened to it before, we tackle a secret, we tackle a question, we tackle a lie that too many of us are believing, and that's the episode. And so in today's episode, let's get to another lie. And this is coming out of my new book, 25 Lies, 20-somethings Need to Stop Believing. And I'm really passionate about this book because I think it's so crucial and so important that we identify and uncover these lies, what I feel like are the 25 biggest lies that are holding people back that are keeping us stuck, that are keeping us miserable, depressed, anxious. A lot of it is stemming from these lies. So we have to do something about it or else we're going to be building our whole foundation. You know, we're building the foundation of our life uh, in our 20s, teens, 30s. And if we're building it on lies, I, I, I picture it as like a bunch of cracks. You know, there's just faulty foundation that no matter what you build on it, it's all going to come crumbling. And probably at the worst possible time in the future, where this things start crumbling and falling apart, and everything you thought you were building, all, all the success that you thought you had, it wasn't real. Because you hadn't laid a strong foundation based off truth. Instead, we were building it off lies. So for this episode, I want to tackle a lie that I, that I mentioned a little bit in a previous episode, but I want to go deeper into this, this lie of, I've missed my chance. I've missed my chance. I've blown it. And in the book, I tell quite a few stories to just kind of break this down, like give us some good perspective on this lie. And even people that we know and people that we follow or people that have been successful who have bought into this lie at parts of them, parts of their life. So even a book that I found in an old bookshop and I'm holding it up in the video. If you, if you can, if you're watching this uh, on YouTube or something, uh, I found this book. It was Robert Burns, and I just love the lettering, like this gold-plated lettering. It was in this this basement shop uh, in this small town. It was like one of those discoveries where you're you're looking through stuff and you find this old book. And I don't know about you, but it's like a museum. It's like finding an artifact. It's like I'm an archaeologist and I'm finding a bone of some dinosaur. Right? That's what it's like when I find like a sweet old book with like the old book musk. If you if you couldn't hear that on the on the podcast, I'm smelling the pages, <laughs> and it's got the old book musk. It's kind of like a mix of like your grandpa's house and uh, and paper that's been sitting out in the sun too long or something. It's a unique smell. Anyway, I found this book, Robert Burns. I didn't know much about Robert Burns, but I loved and this book was in 1883. Can you believe that? It's always amazing to me that this survived. This it's paper. That it survived that many years and now I'm holding it in my hand. And and then I started learning more about Robert Burns that I actually know who Robert Burns is. Mainly just because I know one of his songs. As most of us know one of his songs. It came from a poem of his and he was a Scottish poet. And he wrote the song, Old Lang Syne. 
When old acquaintance be forgotten ever. You know the song that we all sing that we aren't quite sure what does this mean? And what is old Lang Syne? What does this mean? You know, but we sing it. And Robert Burns is famous for that. So that's why in the book, uh, on my 25 Lies, 20-somethings need to stop believing, I actually mentioned this book and mentioned discovering it and mentioned this line that I, that I read that really struck me. And it was a line from Robert Burns. And he wrote to his father in a letter. He said, I foresee that poverty and obscurity probably await me. And I am some measure prepared and daily preparing to meet them. That he sees that poverty and obscurity probably await him, and he's prepared to meet it. And I was like, wow, was this, this sounds like something that I would write, you know, when I'm battling the liar. And I talk about that in a previous episode where I'm battling that voice of, I'm going to fail. Who am I? Nobody cares. It feels like Robert Burns was battling this lie when he wrote his father. So I was thinking to myself, when did he write this? Like, was it towards the end of his life? When he's looking at all his work and thinking, well, like Van Gogh, you know, nobody's bought his painting, like nobody cares, nobody cared about his poetry. That's what I was thinking. And so I matched up the the date on the letter and I figured out when Robert Burns was born and I figured out that he wrote to his father that he foresees that poverty and obscurity await him when he was 12 years old. 12. That's when he was writing to his father that, you know, dad, I'm probably going to be an obscure, uh, poor mess. That no one is going to care about. Just wanted to let you know, Father. You know? And Robert Burns was terribly wrong. Like, we all know Robert Burns. Hey, this was a lie. He didn't end in obscurity. We all sing a song. And and New Year's Eve, you know, one of these times where we're all uh, coming together as a community, as family, and we're singing this song. He's remembered every time somebody does that. So, and I think of another story that I write about in my book of uh, a musician who was a heavy metal rocker. And he was 23, 24 when they got their first book deal. And I don't mean book deal. I mean music deal because he's a musician. And uh, their album album cover is literally two guys uh, and they're in a meat locker. And there's these big hunks of dead meat hanging all around them. It's just, I mean, they were trying to be so hardcore. You could tell they were trying really hard. But they get signed. Like they actually get signed by label. They have an album released this 20-something is very excited. He thinks that his boat has come in, like his dreams are coming true. Every author, musician, creator, you know, to see your your work out there, to see somebody believe in it and pay for it and release it. I mean, that's everybody's dream. But like many of us uh, who learn this reality the hard way, you know, the, the album flopped, just terribly flopped. Nobody bought it. Nobody wanted to see the dead meat on the album cover, apparently. And so he was, he was destroyed. He was, he was miserable, you know, like many of us are when you have a dream that, that kind of dies with the big hunks of meat. Uh, it was very symbolic of his heavy metal music career. And, and I kind of laugh, but I mean, it was so serious to him that he tried to commit suicide. He lost all hope. He felt like I'm done. I've missed my chance. It didn't work one time. He tried to commit suicide again. Thankfully, uh, his suicide attempts were not successful. So this musician decided, well, I'm going to, I got to get away from my manager. I got to get away from this band. I just got to get out of here. And so he moved to LA and started playing the piano in all these dive bars and um, basically felt like he was in failed exile and he was in these smoky bars. Nobody knew who he was. Nobody cared. And he was just the, the piano man playing. 
And if you caught those words, and maybe if you're a music person, you might have caught that the Piano Man was actually the first song that he wrote while in this failed exile. And so this failed musician is Billy Joel. And this failed heavy metal musician is Billy Joel because he wasn't meant to play heavy metal music. You see, obviously Billy Joel hadn't missed his chance when his heavy metal album failed. He was just in the process. He was in the process of clarifying who he was, who he was supposed to be, the music he was meant to create, going back to his roots of where he learned how to play music on the piano. But yet, I mean, the tragedy of it all, if, if his suicide attempts would have been successful, you know, one, uh, a life would have ended and, and then nobody would have been blessed by Billy Joel's music, which, and this is not the whole point, but Billy Joel sold more music than Madonna, than Michael Jackson. I, I couldn't believe that, but it's true. He's like number eight on like top selling musicians of all time, Billy Joel who thought he missed his chance because he blew it as a heavy metal rocker. And I remember in my 20s when I felt these feelings very strongly when I was getting rejected by every publisher around. You know, after you hear no so many different times, it definitely starts to feel like I've missed my chance, like this is not going to happen for me. And so you start losing hope. And this is when at one of the depths of this time for me where uh, I couldn't get a book deal. So I actually ended the relationship with my agent at the time, which is the only thing I had going for me, but I just knew it wasn't going to work out. So I knew I had to start over. Uh, got a full-time job, started a, a master's degree, just started over in so many different ways. And then within two weeks of my full-time job, I got hybrid and uh, I got hired in a hybrid position as a recruiting job. It's a long story and I'm not going to get into all the details. Basically, I got fired from one half of the hybrid job because I had two bosses and one boss fired me within two weeks. Called me uh, incompetent and insubordinate. Those are words you don't forget when you hear those uh, said by HR when you're called in. Uh, But the other boss, thankfully, she loved me and she thought I was doing a great job. So I got hired full time to just be under one boss instead of the hybrid position. I say all that to to set the case that basically I felt like I was kind of at the all time low. In one in one way or another, where I felt I just had no confidence. You know, I'd been called incompetent. Publishers are turning me down. Everybody's basically rejecting me. Um, and so I, f- I felt all the feels of failure that c- that come with that. And I don't know if you've been there where you feel feel all the feels of failure because the feels of failure are pretty strong. And but that's when I started meeting with a man named Ray Rude. And maybe you've heard of me uh, write about Ray before. I think I've written about Ray on almost every book I've written because that's how impactful my time was with Ray. He was a professor. I had a class with Ray. And then we started meeting for coffee like 6.30 in the morning, once a month. And we started walking through a process that Ray called strategic futuring, where Ray explains it much better than me. But basically what Ray is trying to do through this process is for you to see a vision of your future and to treat that vision of your future as fact. And so I, I know I've, I mentioned this in my 101 Secrets Your 20s book where I actually encourage people, and I encourage you to do this right now, to write out your a day in your life 20 years from now. And this is what Ray Rude had me doing as a part of his strategic futuring process is that he had me write a day 20 years from now like I was living that day, you know, in first person, like I'm getting up at 7 a.m. and I can smell the coffee brewing and I'm looking out the window and I see the mountains because I'm living in my house in Colorado and 
I'm putting on my sweatshirt uh, because I'm going to work in my office downstairs because that's that's where I work. And I'm writing my fifth book, you know, and, and he literally every detail, you know, I have my three kids run out and I give them hugs, take them to school, like every detail of your day 20 years from now. And Ray's like, don't even don't even worry about what's possible because it's impossible to plan 20 years ahead. Like this is this is not about planning strategically. It's about setting a vision. And making it so real that you can smell it, you can taste it, you can touch it. So it goes back to that lie of I've missed my chance. Well, what Ray was doing was basically trying to pull my head out of my posterior where I couldn't see the light of day. And Ray was trying to have me see not only the light of day, but the light 20 years ahead and how bright that light could be. And so I remember writing that day and just feeling so encouraged by it. And then Ray in his process... He has you write a day 15 years from now, 10 years from now, five years from now, a year from now, and then three months from now, what's happening? And what goals do you need to start setting to make that three-month vision come to life, which is going to help make that year vision come to life? And so you start setting some smart goals, you know, some, some small, measurable, attainable, realistic goals. And so you tar- start taking steps. So again, this is a great exercise right now, wherever you're at, if you've never done something like that, like it's free, it's, it's hard and it's freeing to write 20 years from now, 15, 10, and then break it down to those small goals to start seeing that vision take place. And I was thinking about all this when I wrote my newest book, 25 lies, 20 somethings need to stop believing. And I, I kind of had this epiphany moment, epiphany, epiphany. There it is. I think I got it. Epiphany. It's a fun word to say, fun word to spell, just a, a fun English word. It's probably not English. I don't know where it came from. Um, France. I digress. I had this epiphany writing my new book when I realized, and I had to write to Ray and I told him this, Ray, I said, Ray, you know what? I'm looking back at like, we started, we met 10 years ago and that's when I wrote that vision out. And I was thinking to myself, I've pretty much realized that vision, like, the kids and living in Colorado and the books and having my own career. You know, when I just gotten fired from my desk job, you know, that seemed, it seemed so unrealistic when I was writing all that. And yet I was telling Ray, like, I, I've almost gotten to that 20 year vision, but I've done it in 10. So I guess you're right, Ray. I didn't, I wasn't dreaming big enough. Like I thought I was so unrealistic because I couldn't get a publisher to say yes, even sniff my books, let alone beat on my fourth book right now. But he was right. I wasn't dreaming big enough. And be, But because of that process, I started setting those small goals. And it, through meeting with Ray, you know, I started my website all grown up out of my master's program. That became my master's thesis is I created a website to try to go lead. That was the, uh, the continuation of my master's program. And then I started writing blogs and started just trying to get my content out there and reaching my audience because gatekeepers were telling me no. Gatekeepers were telling me there's no market there. There's not a problem. Who are you to be the one that speaks to this? Basically all these lies that I was battling against, battling against because I knew there was something there. I could feel it and went back to my own story of feeling like a failure in my 20s. So knowing knowing how important it was for voices to be out there and speaking truth to other people that must be going through the same thing. So that's what continued me forward. But I started setting those small goals built on the big vision. And really, that's the power of hope. 
That's the power of treating your vision as fact, as Ray Root talks about in Strategic Futuring. And go look up Ray Root. Go look up Strategic Futuring. Um, I'd love for you to do that. But that's, but that's the point. And hope is not this naive thing. And I'll close this episode with this metaphor and with this image because it really struck me again. I didn't realize this. And no matter how many times I've actually seen the movie Shawshank Redemption, we, I mean, we've probably all seen it, right? I mean, it's been replaying on TV for the last 20 years. It's an intense movie, a hard movie. If you've actually seen the real unedited version, I mean, it's a lot more intense and gritty than the TV version. Uh, maybe watch the TV version if you don't like the grit. But most of us know Shawshank Redemption. Uh, it's a, it's not a true story, but a powerful story about a man who's wrongfully imprisoned, uh, Andy Dufresne. And so he goes to prison and his best friend is Red, who is rightfully imprisoned. He, 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 um, he's there for life. But these two gentlemen become friends and they have a powerful friendship and they, they lean on each other. They support each other. Most of the movie is built around their relationship. But I didn't realize, I hadn't seen it through this lens, but but if you've ever seen the movie, what is the one thing that Andy Dufresne and Red argue about? And not only argue about, Red gets so mad when they're talking about this that he slams his tray down in front of all their friends at the cafeteria and he walks off because he's so angry at what they're fighting about. And the thing that they're fighting about is hope. And it's such a crucial theme. It's an embedded theme in this movie about the power of hope. Basically, Andy is trying to make the argument that hope is a powerful thing. That hope is an amazing thing. That hope is a beautiful thing and and no good thing ever dies. And he has this vision, going back to what Ray Rude was talking about, about, Andy has a vision that he talks about, about having his own sailing boat, taking people on fishing trips in Mexico, say Watanao. If you've if you watch the movie, you know Sewataneo. It's this beautiful word, this beautiful image of what Andy was wanting to do, what his vision was for his life 20 years from now. And Red was saying, hope is a dangerous thing. Hope will make a man insane. Hope will make you crazy. And he was worried that Andy was going to make himself sick. And he thought that Andy was going to hang himself because this hope of this vision wasn't going to come true. But what he didn't know, and if you've watched the movie, sorry, I'm going to ruin the ending if you haven't watched it. If you, if you want to watch it without ruining the ending, stop the episode now. We'll pick up later. You can play this later. But basically what Red didn't know is that Andy was tunneling under the prison walls with this small little rock hammer for 20 years. Again, I think it was 20 years. I think it goes back to the 20 years where, where Red said he thought it would take somebody his whole life to tunnel through the walls with this little rock hammer. But Andy did it in 20 and so it's like this powerful matter. It was the hope. It was Andy's vision of being on that beach. It was what he was working towards that he was taking those small, measurable steps. He had the smart goals in his prison cell as every night he was slowly chipping away under those prison walls so he could escape to his freedom because he knew he wasn't guilty. He knew he shouldn't be in those prison walls and he knew he had a future in front of him. And so he believed. So he hoped And it was the power of that hope, the power of, I haven't missed my chance. I'm not going to die in these prison walls. I'm going to get out of this that carried Andy forward. He treated that vision as fact. And so that's why the powerful ending of this, this movie, Shawshank Redemption, is Red 
now getting out of prison. He's been there for half his life. And the only thing now, and he starts to realize, he starts to understand what Andy was saying all along, is that the power of hope is what keeps Red alive. The power of seeing his friend again. And and it's this beautiful image. Go watch it again if you haven't seen the movie of Red finding Andy on the beach, starting to work on his boat, and the camera pans out of the two friends embracing. And do you know what the last words of Shawshank Redemption are? It's Red saying, and again, Red was the one that argued against Andy about the importance of hope. And it's Red saying, I hope. And I couldn't even believe it. I didn't realize that. I didn't realize that what the whole movie was coming down to was the power of hope. Really, the power of what Ray Rude was talking about me, talking to me 10 years ago. And so I want to relay that message to you. And I've, I've thrown a lot of stories in here. And I, again, I've thrown more in my book, 25 Lies, 20 Somethings, and Stop Believing. So if you like this, sales pitch, ho, pick up the book because there's more encouraging stuff in there than I can even put in this podcast. The story of Robert Burns, Old Lang Syne, the story of Billy Joel, the story of Shawshank Redemption, my own story of being a failed, struggling, unemployed author who's getting fired from all his jobs. Like, you haven't missed your chance. So start creating that vision for yourself. Where do you see yourself 20 years from now? And start treating that vision as fact. Because hope is a powerful thing. I hope. I hope you start hoping too. And let's treat that hope, let's treat that vision as fact as we move into our future because you haven't missed your chance. Your future is waiting for you and your future takes time. So keep the hope. Thank you, everybody. This is another episode of the All Grown Up Podcast. Subscribe if you want to get the episode sent directly to you. New book, 25 Lies, 20 Somethings You Need to Stop Believing. This is Paul Ngoni. I love you guys. Have a great rest of your week. Have a great rest of your week. <laughs> Goodbye. Talk to you guys later. Bye.